Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. We continue our study through the New Testament. And for the past several weeks, we've seen how Peter has beautiful and strong exhortation for the saints. Now, understand that exhortation, it's also for overseers. And when we look at overseers, it's very important to understand the qualifications because the Lord He tells us through his word what the qualifications are in his eyes. And if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our studies through the pastoral epistles through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And don't forget Philemon. Go back and listen to our studies through the pastoral epistles. It's very important. And Peter's exhortation in this chapter is for overseers, young believers, and mature believers. And it's so beautiful to see how in one little chapter, Brother Peter, he covers many bases. And we see here in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 1, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, let us not forget, Peter, he walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was there the night of his arrest. He was there when our Lord was beaten. And this is where Peter also denied the Lord. And Peter, we also understand, was restored by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But understand that Peter, he has a first-hand account. And so in continuation, he says here in verse 1, he says, And also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And this is a future glory. Remember last week in chapter 4, verse 13, when his glory is revealed, we can be glad. And then also several weeks even further back in chapter 1, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, there is a life in the here and now, but there is also the life to come. We can never forget the life to come. And in verse 2, Peter says, shepherd the flock, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. You see, and this is where we see shepherd as verb, which is to tend, to feed, to shepherd, to pastor. Understand that shepherd is both noun, speaking of the person of the shepherd, and verb, the act of the shepherd. And in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. I'm so in love with Peter. I'm so in love with Peter. And yes, he has his ups and downs in his earlier walk. And we see restoration from the Lord. And we also see Peter pressing forward and exhorting elders and overseers to do it willingly and eagerly, not by compulsion or for dishonest gain. And don't forget, remember our study in the book of Acts in chapter 20? Don't forget that shepherds, overseers can become wolves. Don't forget, it's very important to remember that shepherds can become wolves. And I know, you know, you might be listening like, whoa, like I I never knew that or whoa, why did he even bring that up? Because we're in the last days. Perilous times aren't coming. Perilous times, they're already here. 
Apostasy, it isn't coming. It's already here. And Peter's exhortation here is for purity of heart among leadership. Just like in the Old Testament. Just like in the Old Testament where we see a plethora of priests, but one Jeremiah. In the New Testament, we see a plethora of teachers, 10,000 teachers, but one Paul. And Peter's call is for soft hearts among all saints, pulpit and pew. And in verse 3, we see, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. To overseers, you know, elders and pastors, understand You cannot make anyone do anything. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder serving as overseers, serving the Lord as overseers, you cannot make anyone do anything. You can't manipulate anybody to do anything. Every single person has a choice to make for himself or herself. You can teach, you can feed, you can tend, you can shepherd, and you can be an example. You can't make anyone love the Lord. You cannot make anyone obey the Lord. But you can pray. You can intercede. And you can be an example. Or what Paul likes to say, a pattern. Don't forget when, when beautiful, beautiful Joshua was victorious in his early battle. Old man Moses, he was praying. And it's so powerful when we have these Old Testament examples. Don't forget, Paul, he says the things written of old were written for us. For our admonition, yes, but that's so we can learn. You see the ups and the downs of Israel. What about the ups and downs of the Christian walk? Peter has his share of ups and downs. Corinth has their share of ups and downs. As much as we look at 1 Corinthians and we look at the mess of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, we see the mess. And then, you know, you get to chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the separation, the separating of the leaven from the remnant or the remnant from the leaven. And as much as we look at the carnal state of the church in Corinth, let us not forget there is 2 Corinthians the remnant. You see? And in verse 4, Brother Peter, he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, this is Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And we have to remember the perilous times of 64 AD when Brother Peter was, when this letter was written. We have to remember the perilous times where the cost of believing was very, very high. There is a diaspora of believers in 64 AD. And I don't blame them. You know, they were, they were scared. Being under the thumb of Rome, being under the thumb of the religious leaders, it was very scary where the cost of being a believer, the cost of believing in Jesus was very high. 
And, you know, if you're listening for the first time and you're wondering what we're speaking about, go back and listen to our study through 1 Peter chapter 1. But don't forget the introduction because we cover these things in the introduction to 1 Peter chapter 1. And then chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and here we are in chapter 5. And in 64 AD, saints are falling away. And it's devastating to the body of Christ. It's devastating. Absolutely. But just for a moment, just for a moment, put yourself in the sandals of a shepherd of 64 AD. What is the shepherd to do? What is the shepherd to do against odds that have the appearance of losing? Just like what happened with Paul. Also at the same time of this diaspora, 64 AD, there was a falling away of the faith. If you take Paul on one side and you put Hymenaeus on the other side, both are teachers, both are recognized as pastors. You put Paul on one side, you put Hymenaeus on the other side. You figure, well, they're both pastors, they're both teachers, they're both leaders. And yeah, that's true. They're both leaders. Paul's on one side, Hymenaeus is on the other side. And this is 64 AD where there's a falling away. All the saints in Asia left Paul. Remember when we studied that in Paul's uh, letter to young Pastor Timothy? You have Paul on one side, Hymenaeus on the other side. Except with Hymenaeus, he strayed from truth. He has a cancerous message that spreads And he overthrows faith. And this is what we learn in 2 Timothy chapter 2. When Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy about this very thing. So you have Paul on one side and Hymenaeus on the other side. And Paul's side, it's deflating and getting smaller and smaller. Remember his letter to Timothy, where all the saints in Asia have left him. Demas has left him. Remember the the bright lights, big city? Demas left him. Demas was seduced. And Demas left. And the Hymenaeus side, what do we see? We see growth. You see? One side has an appearance of growth because it's seen with carnal eyes. The other side has the appearance of diminishing. But with eyes to see, Hymenaeus is where faith goes to die. It's very important to understand. And when you put yourself in the sandals of the remnant shepherd, it's so beautiful. It's very lovely to see and read Peter's exhortation to them. Very beautiful. Because how disheartening is it? For shepherds in 50 AD to see their church and in 55 AD to see their church, it's smaller. And then 60 AD to see their church even smaller. And then in 63 AD, all of a sudden it's tiny. 65 AD, 64 AD. All of a sudden they become the bad guy. How disheartening is it for those overseers? And when you understand this, it's like, oh my goodness, Peter's exhortation, it's so beautiful. It's so lovely to see this vessel of the Lord exhort leadership. 
And yes, he says, don't lord over those entrusted to you. But speaking of the reward, he says your reward is not here. It's not here. It's not in this world. And it's very important if you're listening and you're a pastor, you're an elder, you're an overseer. Remember, this world, your reward isn't here. Your reward is in paradise. Your reward is with the Lord. And in 64 AD, there's this appearance of diminishing, just like there was with Paul. I met with Jimenez. It's like, wow, look, the mega church is with Jimenez. But with Paul, people are leaving him in droves. But when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus appears, the revelation of Jesus, when that happens, that's a different story. Because the crown of glory awaits. What a beautiful exhortation. And this is the same exhortation for shepherds today. You're a pastor, you're an elder. Remember, when the chief shepherd appears, there's a crown of glory. You will receive the crown of glory. And when I say pastor shepherd, I'm not talking run of the mill. I'm talking full package. Now, if you're listening, you're like, what are you talking about, full package? Go back and listen to our study through uh, 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 the pastoral epistles. And don't forget the introduction to the pastoral epistles. Go and listen. Very important to understand so that we can know who it is that is safe to submit to. Because the Bible says, yes, submit to your overseers. Submit to your rulers. Speaking of pastors and elders, submit to them. But to do that with run of the mill, you cannot do that. It can only be done with those who are qualified. And the qualifications, the Lord gives them to us. The Lord teaches us what the qualifications are. And don't forget, with overseers, their home is open to scrutiny. So if a pastor is married, his wife is open to scrutiny. If the pastor is a good teacher, but the wife is a crackhead, sorry, no. You cannot submit to him because he, if he can't keep his own home in order... How is he going to do that with the house of God? If he's married and has kids, an elder has kids, and it's like, okay, husband and wife, you know, okay. And if it's the third marriage, no. And the third marriage and the previous wives haven't died, no. Oh, but we had irreconcilable differences. That's nice. Take a hike. You cannot submit to such a vessel because that's not a vessel of the Lord. You see, and when the home is open to scrutiny, you look at the kids, son is sexually active, the daughter's doing her chakras and her crystals and her Ouija boards. What does that reveal? A so-called overseer is failing in overseeing his own home. How can he do it with the house of the Lord, with God's people, if he can't do it with his own family? You see? And so this exhortation that we give today to the overseers of when it's our turn for our perilous times. This exhortation that we give to pastors and elders and overseers, we're not talking run of the mill. We're talking full package. Very rare 
but you're out there. When the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, where every eye will see him, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You see? Peter's exhortation it's not for shepherds only. I mean, we see that the exhortation for the overseers, but he continues in verse 5. He says, likewise, you younger people. And these aren't kids. A lot of times people think, oh, okay, he's talking to kids. Well, it could be kids, but this specifically refers to new believers. New believers. Brand new babies in Christ. You might be 10 years old, a baby in Christ. You might be 50 or 50 years old, a baby in Christ because you just became a believer last week or maybe today. And for the new believers, Brother Peter says, submit yourself to the elders. Submit yourselves to the elders. There is a major danger for new believers these days. I mean, it's always been there, but it's getting worse. Major danger. You know why? Because new believers, they're not Bereans. They can't be Bereans yet. I mean, what, what parent has a, a, a two-month-old baby and tries to teach calculus? No, it's, it, it doesn't work. It, it, the parent would be the fool to expect a two-month-old baby to do calculus. And the same applies to babies in faith. A person comes to the Lord. Remember when the, 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 there was a guy who was born blind and he's an adult and he's born blind and Jesus healed him. He was able to see again. And the Pharisees, they were accusing him of sin. They were looking at the, at the, at the parents. What was the theology that the blind guy knew? He didn't know the, the depths of theology. And he says to the Pharisees, all I know is this. I was blind and now I see. You put the theology of this former blind guy. You put the theology of this guy. What does he know? He believes in Jesus and he can see. That's it. That's his theology. And the Pharisees, they have a theology of they have the scrolls. They, they're very learned. And the blind guy, his theology doesn't match. All he knows is that he believes in Jesus and he can see. And that's what he says to the Pharisees. Listen, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. And praise be to the Lord. But even still, he's a baby in Christ because his theology is, I was blind and now I see, I believe in Jesus. That's his theology. Now, that level of theology can grow and grow beautifully. But it's the same today with new believers. Someone says, all I know is that I was a crackhead and the Lord healed me and I believe in Jesus. I'm in love with Jesus. That's his or her theology. You see, 
All I know is that, you know what? I was on alcohol and I would drink my whiskey all the time and the Lord healed me and I believe Jesus and I'm so in love with Jesus. Boom, that's it. That's his or her theology. And so when we see Brother Peter say, submit yourselves to the elders, yes, it's very beautiful to submit a new believer. You young people, young, young, in verse 5, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. It's very beautiful. But the new believer is not a Berean yet. And submitting to just any elder, any overseer, can be very dangerous. To my young brothers and sisters in Christ, the new believers, you've been a believer for less than a couple months. It's a beautiful thing to submit to an overseer. It's holy. It's holy because the Bible teaches us submit to those who rule over you. Why? Because they watch out for your soul. And when the formula is right, you know that, wow, this guy, he's watching out for my soul. You picture the guy whose theology, all he knows is that he was blind and now he sees and he's in love with Jesus. You take a guy is, listen, all you know, I was on I was alcoholic. I believe Jesus. I was alcoholic. He healed me and I, 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 I love the Lord. Or you take a sister in Christ, you know, I used to do the cocaine and the Lord healed me and I believe Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm so in love with him. You take that a beautiful faith and theology is tiny, 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 tiny. But that theology can grow and grow beautifully. You put those three people the guy who was blind, the guy with the alcohol, and then the sister with the, the drugs. You take those three and you put them with Paul, whew, stand by. Because it's only a matter of time before they're running. But you take those three and you put them with him and his, where faith goes to die. You see? And these are things that new believers don't understand. It's so beautiful to see new believers because you see that vibrance of life. And if you are a new believer, you've been a believer for less than a month. Still on milk. It's holy to submit to a pastor. It's holy submit to submit to an elder. It's holy to submit to the overseer. It's holy. But you must understand the formula must be right in the overseer. You see? Very important. And a lot of new believers don't understand that. And so they believe in Jesus Christ and they love the Lord. They're in love with the Lord. They believe in Jesus and they are believers. But then where they go to fellowship and they read the Bible, it says, okay, submit to the pastor. I'm going to submit to this pastor. And the qualifications, they don't, the, 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 the new believer doesn't realize that, whoa, that guy is disqualified. You cannot submit to that person. Or they go to this church over here where there's a female pastor. You see? Or they go to the, the, past, they go to the, to the, 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 the pastor where he's on his third marriage. 
and his previous wives haven't died. They're still alive. They had irreconcilable differences. And the new believer doesn't know. They believe in Jesus. But the new believer submits to Hymenaeus. The new believer submits to Alexander without realizing that in Hymenaeus and Alexander, wrong formula. But when you have new believers, their theology is so basic. And I don't say that as derogatory, like, oh, you're so basic. No, I don't say it like that. Remember the rugby match from our study in the book of Romans? Remember the rugby match? New believers are beautiful. That vibrance of life, it's so, it's palpable and it's, it's beautiful to see and wonderful to see and joyous to see. But at the same time, there is a danger. And new believers don't understand. They just figure, okay, I'm a new believer. I'm going to go to this church and I'm going to listen to what the pastor says. And, and they're going to read their scripture and see, okay, submit to the pastor. And, you know, the pastor will probably say, oh, yeah, you, you have to submit to me in. And so the new believer says, okay, I'm going to sit here in the pews and the Bible says submit to those who rule over and this lady rules over me, so I'm going to submit to her. And they don't realize that in her is the wrong formula. In him is the wrong formula. But when you take somebody like Peter, submission to Peter, submission to Titus, submission to Timothy, submission to Philemon, You see, beautiful. Why? Because in them, the formula is right. We're talking full package. The formula must be right. And so here in in verse five, when, you know, likewise, you younger people, the new believers, submit yourselves to your elders. He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. This is very beautiful, very holy. But even still, the formula must be right. And not just in the pastor now. The formula must be right in fellowship. Of course, accounting for babies. But even still, the formula must be right in the fellowship. Because it's very dangerous to be submissive to one another in early Corinth, where there's the sex and the alcohol and the extortion. Very dangerous to be submissive to one another in early Corinth. But in Philippi, very beautiful. You see? And when a saint submits themselves to other saints, and when saints are in submission to overseers, as the Bible says, the saint becomes one of three things. Leaven, apostate, or holy. And I know that's shocking to hear that. When a saint is in submission to other saints and there's submission to the overseers, the pastors and the elders. And these are things that the Bible absolutely teaches us about submission. One of three things happens. The saint becomes leaven, apostate or holy. You see, submission is very beautiful, very beautiful. It's also very dangerous, just like fire. Fire, very beautiful. 
You can get warm. You can get cozy. You can have, you know, hot chocolate and uh, the marshmallows and the s'mores and, you know, all kind, you know, beautiful, beautiful, the, the fire, warm fire. And it's so you can have light. You can do all kinds of things. But that fire can also burn down your house. That fire can also burn down your house when you're in it. That fire can also kill you. And yes, fire is a beautiful thing, but it's also dangerous. And submission is a beautiful thing, but it's also dangerous. You see? Submission to one another, beautiful. Submission to overseers, beautiful. But when the defunct of Corinth is overseer, Remember the three avenues where a saint in submission, as the Bible says, one of three things, leaven, apostate, or holiness. And when the defunct of Corinth is overseer, it leads to leaven. Just as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. 5 is where the separation happens. When the defunct is overseer, it leads to leaven. When Hymenaeus is overseer, it leads to apostasy. But when Peter is overseer, it leads to holiness because it's the way of righteousness. Why? Peter, full package. Not package one, not package two, not package three, full package. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what? Packages? And I know somebody's going to ask me, where do you get the doctrine of packages? You know, go back and listen to our study through the pastoral epistles. Go back and listen. The introduction to the pastoral epistles. And then listen to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Peter, full package. Titus, Timothy, full package. Philemon, full package. Paul, full package. John, full package. James, full package. Submission to them, beautiful. You see? And for my new believers, my new bro- my, my new believers who are my beautiful brothers, my beautiful sisters in Christ, I love you. And I know this is shocking. You love the Lord and you're like, oh my goodness. You're like, whoa, whoa. I, I didn't know it was this scary. You listen to our studies and you will learn. Have your Bible open and study the scriptures verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, because the Lord teaches And you might be in a situation where you're a new believer and then you're, you're, you're reading scripture and you're like, oh my goodness, I, I, I'm in this church where the pastor's on his third marriage and I didn't realize it, but I can't submit myself to this person. That's why we say jump ship. People think, oh, I, I'm, I'm in church, I'm in church, I'm safe, I'm safe. Church is where judgment begins. Remember our study from last week? You see? Because the overseers of Corinth, it was leaven. Look at the flesh. Look at the leaven. Hymenaeus, Alexander, when they're overseers, look at the saints who left Paul. All the saints in Asia who left Paul, it leads to apostasy. But when Paul is overseer, Peter, John, James, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. When they're overseer, that's holiness. 
And it's not these vessels. It's the Lord in them. Full package. You see? And I know it's shocking, new believers, it's shocking to hear that submission, as the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us. The Bible tells us, submit to those who rule over you because they watch out for your soul. And it's shocking to even consider and fathom that in submitting, it can lead to leaven. It can lead to apostasy. It's shocking, I know. But it can lead to holiness as well. And we see this, this very reality is seen all throughout Scripture because is submission to Korah a good thing? Is submission to Balaam a good thing? Is submission to Eli a good thing? The answer is no. Is submission to Moses a good thing? Is submission to Joshua good? Is submission to Jeremiah good? The answer is yes. We must understand formula. There is a formula for ourselves. There is a formula for the church in a gathering setting. Of course, always, always, always accounting for the babies. There is a formula for overseers. There is a formula for family. We must understand formula. It must be right. And if you're listening for the first time, I want to know more about this formula. Well, go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. And from 1 Corinthians all the way to 1 Peter chapter 5, where we are today. And you'll understand everything there is to know about formula. Maybe not everything. A good chunk, you'll know. You'll be well on your way. Very important. And sometimes people are like, it's, it's too long. How do you expect us to do this? It's too long. It's too long. That, you know, two hours, you know, an hour and a half, three hours. It's too long. It's too long. Well, you know what? No TV. No movies. Turn off the TV. Turn off the movies. Open up your Bible and listen and study the Word of God. We must understand formula. Because as we read about the perilous times of Peter's era in 64 AD, it's our turn. Perilous times aren't coming. They're here. They're here. And Brother Peter, when he says in this exhortation for the younger people in verse 5 to submit yourselves to elders and, you know, all of you be submissive to one another, notice, and be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility. You see, humility as a covering. Being girded with humility. And I love that so much. I'm so in love with Peter. And this is something Peter learned over the years. And remember, he did have a pride of his younger days in Christ. But in the course of time, he learned to love humility. And he wore his covering of humility wonderfully well. And was rebuked by Jesus. 
That was more youthful pride. But he was also rebuked by Paul. And Peter's covering of humility girded his heart. You see, because, you know, when when Peter was rebuked by Paul, Peter didn't respond carnally. He didn't respond in arrogance or pride. You know, Paul, how dare you chastise me publicly in front of people? Oh, Paul, that's not loving. You're so mean, Paul. No, that didn't happen. Why? Because he had his covering of humility. Paul, you're right. Paul, you're right. You see? And this isn't Paul wanting to be right for the sake of being right. You see? But vessels of the Lord, understand, vessels of the Lord. Jesus must be preeminent in all of our lives. And vessels of the Lord fight to that end. And when he sees Peter stumbling in certain areas no paul called him on it publicly you see and P- peter who was had the covering of humility he didn't say oh paul how dare you you know let's go out to the parking lot and duke it out how dare you how dare you that's not loving how dare you should have done that privately and now look i got egg on my face Mrs. Paul, you're right. You're absolutely right, Paul. I am in error. Because the Lord must be preeminent in all of our lives. Jesus Christ, preeminent, not prominent. Prominent is like, you know, you know, one of many. No, preeminent, meaning he's the only one. It's not Jesus and Buddha and crack and sex and, you know, Mary and no, Jesus only. Everything else, gone. And brother Peter, he says, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Does that sound familiar? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Does that sound familiar? This is something Brother James also taught. Different vessel, but same spirit, same master. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, in verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Again, something Brother James taught as well. Remember, same spirit, same Lord, same master. We're in not too long ago, James chapter 4, verse 9. Lament, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Remember, James was writing to Christians, believers. And believers might say, Christians might say, you, my beloved brother, you, my beloved sister, might say, wait a second. I thought we're supposed to be full of joy. We're Christians. What, what, what happened to the joy of the Lord? Understand, it cannot be manufactured. It cannot be coerced. It cannot be faked, even though mere mortals attempt to fake it. Real joy, the joy of the Lord, it is a work of the Lord. 
And that work of the Lord can be obstructed. You know how that happens? The flesh. The carnal nature. You and me, we have to get out of the way. We have to get out of the way. How does that happen? I'll tell you how. The old man, the old woman, we must reckon them dead. And this is what Brother James writes about. Because the church, they wanted the joy. They wanted the laughter. They wanted the, 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 the happiness, which is a beautiful. It's not a bad thing to want those things. It's beautiful. But when there's the carnal nature, when there's the flesh, when there's the leaven, Brother James in chapter 4, verse 9 says, No, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's not to say that you can't have laughter, that you can't have joy, because you absolutely can have joy. You absolutely can have laughter. But in this condition, the works of the flesh and the carnal nature and the ways of the leaven, you have to repent. You have to repent. Go back and listen to our study in the book of James. James chapter 4. You'll understand more. And James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You see? Repentance. Humility before the Lord. That's why brother James says lament and mourn and weep. Laughter? No. It's time for mourning. Joy? No. It's time to gloom. Why? Because of wickedness. Because of the carnal nature. Because of the flesh. It's a time to repent. It's a call to repent. The aftermath of that, in James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. That is the joy of the Lord. Not manufactured. That is the true joy of the Lord. You see? Fullness of joy. Real joy and laughter. You see? It happens in the aftermath of repentance. And it's from the Lord. It's not a pastor standing up at the pulpit telling jokes so that you can have laughter. That's a carnal laughter. You see? And you see that sometimes where the pastor, he'll tell jokes and you hear the people in the audience laughing. Oh yeah, we're so full of laughter. But that's not from the Lord. That's from the fool telling jokes. The disqualified, the idiot. You see? And in the Greek, you know what Paul says? Idiotes. Idiotes without understanding. That's the idiot at the pulpit. Disqualified. But in the pews, they don't know that the guy is disqualified. You see? Why don't they know? Because the teacher, the pastor, you know what they do? They feed, they feed milk. They like to feed milk. You know why? So they can get away with it. see 
Then you have the fool telling jokes and people laughing. Oh, we have the laughter. We have the laughter and we have the joy of the Lord. Sunday church is over. They're drunk Sunday night. You see? It's Friday night. It's Saturday night. They're at the strip clubs. They're at the bars. And then, oh, I got to get, I I can't get drunk tonight. I got to go to church in the morning. And I'm going to have the joy of the Lord and I'm going to laugh and be, be full of laughter. They don't realize that it's all carnal. The fool at the pulpit is telling his jokes. And they call that the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you something. That is not the joy of the Lord. That's a carnal joy. A carnal laughter. But the aftermath of repentance, the aftermath of being clean before the Lord, The aftermath of being cleaned up by a faithful shepherd and through the word of God. You know what happens in the aftermath of repentance? The Lord will lift you up. Just as brother James says, and just as brother Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You see? Of all the faiths, of all the religions, of all the doctors and therapists and drugs and sex and alcohol, of all the things people use for a sensation of what they deem to be good. All of them. All of them fail. 100% fail. I've looked. Just like our study on Wednesday. Just like our study on Wednesday. Everyone is doing right in their own eyes. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Just like we studied on Wednesday, nothing new under the sun. You see? But even still, there is a way. Even still, there is truth. And even still, there is life and life everlasting. It is only found in Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Only. One way. You see? And if you're listening, you might be a non-believer and you've never experienced the joy of the Lord. You might be a believer and just like the non-believer, Never experienced the joy of the Lord. And if you're listening and you want to commit your life to Christ, or if you're listening, you're a believer and you're lukewarm and you want to recommit your life to Christ, you hit pause right here, right now, and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and then you come back and you listen and continue in the study. And we grow together. We mature together. We continue in this journey. And this journey, we're going to paradise. We're going to paradise. Where there's a crown with your name on it. That's where we're going. You see? And Peter says that the Lord may exalt you in due time. And there is absolutely a lifting up of soul and spirit. But understand, there is also a literal lifting up. It's called the resurrection which is still a pending event, 
which will come to pass at the revelation of Jesus. Brother Peter continues in verse 7. And he says in verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And in this life, understand, you know, and I say this with sorrow. I regretfully, I say this. I don't like to say it. But we see parents who don't care for their kids. We see it. Moms and dads without regard for the millstone that Jesus speaks of. But our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. Him, our Father, Abba. He cares for us. He cares for you. And all our cares, the things that are distracting and pull our attention away from him. Give it to the Lord. Give it to him. And be free. Real freedom. True freedom. You see people, sometimes they get out of jail. They get out of prison. And what's the first thing they want to do? They want to go out and they want to party hardy. They get drunk. They do the sex. They cook spoons. They do the lines. They're out of jail but they're still in jail. They're still in prison. You know why? Because they're not free from sin. And there's only one. There's only one who can free from the bondage of sin. And his name is Jesus, son of the most high God, who loves you. Remember, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. God loves you. And you might have made us just a straight up mess of life. As did I when I came to Christ. Even a little bit after when I came to Christ, I made a mess. And praise be to the Lord who is rich in grace and mercy because He cleans his own fish. God loves you. And he wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have laughter. He wants you to rejoice. But understand, he doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. And if that's you, And you would like to choose Jesus. You would like to choose life and life everlasting. You hit pause. If you didn't heed my prior call to come to Christ, you hit pause right here, right now, and you come to Christ. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to come to Christ, and you come to Christ. You come back, you listen, we grow together. We continue in this journey to paradise. And to the remnant believers of the perilous times of 64 AD, where it's very dangerous to be a Christian, life-threatening and deadly to be a Christian. Brother Peter continues to exhort. In verse 8, he says, be sober, be vigilant. In the Greek, it's to be discreet and have sobriety of mind and from wine as well. And to be on watch, to be on guard and to stay awake. Why? Notice what he says here. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking 
whom he may devour. Very interesting what we see here. The Bible presents us with two lions. Two lions. One is the devil, which results in death. The other is of Judah, which results in life everlasting. Now, balls in your court. You have a choice to make. You see? I mean, when you, when you consider life or death, it's kind of easy. It's kind of easy. Remember, Jesus, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He doesn't say, oh, you, you want to walk with me? Okay, you know, pass, you get, get, get straight A's in the, this calculus exam. You want to be a Christian? Okay, you have to get, you know, 100% on the SATs. He doesn't say that. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't make robots. You and me, we have a choice to make. If you're not a believer, you have a choice to make. If you are a believer, you have a choice to make. You say, wait a second, I already made the choice. Yes, but every single day we walk with Jesus. Non-believer has a choice to make. Believer has a choice to make. And regarding the devil in verse 9, Brother Peter says, resist him. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, which is to be strong, stable, and solid in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You see, if you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study in the introduction to 1 Peter. Because we mentioned some of these sufferings. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's much more. Things that I dare not even mention because they're brutal. And it kills me. It hurts to consider what our early family members went through. Our early brothers, our early sisters, what they did to women, what they did to children. Rape after rape after rape. Our little sisters in Christ. The cost of being a Christian was very heavy in 64 AD. And we do mention some of these sufferings. Life-threatening to be a Christian. In the last days, the cup of trembling is going to come to us. And there will be suffering. The church will take casualties. Saints will die. But death has no victory. It's merely our passageway into paradise. See, these are things that Peter, he sees the diaspora, people fleeing for safety, which is completely understandable. But he teaches them about a greater safety. And it's to abide in Christ. In verse 10, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, 
strengthen and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In verse 12, we see this. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him. This is Silvanus, remember? In our earlier studies through Paul's letters, this is a brother who was also in the bubble of Paul about 8 to 10 years ago from 64 AD. And now he's in the bubble of Peter. You see, when the formula is right, there's no problem whatsoever with interchangeability. You go to church with, you know, when the pastor is like Peter, Paul, James, John, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, no problem whatsoever. The problem today, where are they? Where are they? Where are the Peters of our day? Where are the Johns and Timothys and Tituses of our day? Where? And Brother Peter says, I have written to you, you know, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. So understand Silvanus, he's a scribe to Peter. Two vessels, Silvanus and Peter, same Lord. He says, I have written to you, and in the beginning of verse 12, by Silvanus. Now, not to knock on vocation, but Peter was a fisherman. Not to knock on vocation. Peter was a fisherman. This wasn't high society. This class of society wasn't where the echelons of academia were found. But it's where Jesus called Peter. Don't forget, Peter... Peter was agramatos in the Greek. He was agramatos. You know what that is? He was illiterate. Peter, a vessel of the Lord. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. If you've been walking with us for a while, a little refresher course. If you have been walking with us for a while or have not been and you're a new listener, go back and listen to our study in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 4, in verse 5 and 6, Peter and John have an audience of the learned class. The learned class, which can have an element of intimidation. I mean, say, for example, I'm not a doctor in anything, but I mean, you know, if I were to be, you know, in front of a whole bunch of people who had doctorates, well, I probably wouldn't care, but I mean, you know, like maybe 20 years ago I would have, but like now I could care less. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. But, you know, so Peter and John, they have an element of, you know, this, like, they're freshly empowered by the Holy Spirit. Freshly empowered. And they're in this audience. This is the next day of this beautiful work of the Lord where multitudes come to Christ. And the next day, They're with the learned class, which included in the learned class are the rulers, the elders, the scribes. And if that wasn't enough, it's also the high priest. And if that wasn't enough, the family of the high priest. This is Levites and Kohanim. Rulers of Israel, elders and scribes of Israel, Levites and Kohanim. These are, you know, including the family of the high priest. These are men who are in training to be future high priests. These are heavy hitters according to academia and higher learning. Heavy hitters. And these learned men of Adam, they pose a question. And in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he responds. He responds. 
And then you look at verse 14 and you see that these learned of Adam, they were silenced. They could say nothing. And verse 13 reveals plenty. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. And they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, which is agramatos. You know what that is? Illiterate. And they marveled. They marveled. And they realized that they, Peter and John, that they had been with Jesus. You see? That's one of many things a walk with Jesus does. Remember, knowledge? Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. It's not the, it's not the greatest gift, but it's a gift. One of many gifts. If you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. You'll understand more about the power of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. You say, wait a second, I thought 1 Corinthians was bad. No, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, bad, not good. Why? Because of leaven. But remember, also remember, Paul refers to the, the, the church in Corinth as saints. Saints. Remember in Thessalonians, when, when, when Paul, when he writes to the saints in Thessalonica, he says, don't count them as non-believers. Don't count them as non-believers. But where you see the works of the flesh and the leaven, the, the remnant must separate. Don't count them as non-believers. Because that's between them and the Lord. You see? I don't get why people today, oh, you know, he never believed. Oh, she was never a believer. How can you say, Paul says don't do that. The Bible says don't do that. The Bible specifically says, do not count them as non-believers. And you see people today, oh, he was never a believer. She was never a believer. You see, that's false doctrine. False doctrine that says that. That says that's even permissible. No, Paul says, okay, 1 Corinthians, you guys are saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you guys are saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you guys are saints. Chapter 3, you guys are saints, but you're babies, milk drinkers. I wish I could give you more, but I can't because you're babies. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, saints. But because of the flesh, there has been leaven. And a little leaven leavens the bunch. So, 100% are saints, except some saints are leaven. So separate. Just like in the Old Testament where you see leprosy, leprosy must be outside of the camp. You see? Separate. And so the remnant separates. Is, is, is somebody from the tribe of Dan who has leprosy? Do they cease to be a Danite? You see, somebody from the tribe of Judah who has leprosy, do they cease to be of Judah? And you see people, oh, he was never a believer. She was never a believer. That's false doctrine that says that. And the Bible is explicitly clear. Don't count them as a non-believer. But there must be separation. You see, 
And when you get to Second Corinthians chapter or Second uh, Corinthians, when you see when Paul he says those who separate, he says bring them back, bring them back, because something happens. I mean, when somebody from Dan is a a a, 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 a leper, they're not a leper forever. When somebody of Judah is a leper, they're not a leper forever. No, there's a period of time. And when they're healed, okay, come back into the camp. There's still a process. According to the law, there's still a process to be cleaned up and let's get you cleaned up. And okay, now we're back in the camp. Now when I say let you get you cleaned up, that's, you know, the, 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 the healing of leprosy that happens outside the camp. But entry back into the camp, there's certain things that have to happen according to the law. Go back and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand more. You see? And we see the exact same thing in 2 Corinthians. Because when leaven is ostracized and no longer part of a fellowship, and now they have, they have some choices to make. When there's separation, leaven the heart can get harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And sadly, it can turn into a rock. That's not good. But when leaven is outside the camp, they can also repent. That's godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. And we get to 2 Corinthians and Paul says, bring them back in the fellowship. You see, because they've repented. They've repented. They're back into the fellowship and something happens. Now they're back in the fellowship, but the fellowship is no longer full of milk drinkers. Now you have people that are more mature in their growth in Christ. They're no longer defunct. You see how the church operates? And that sounds so formal to say how the church operates. And I don't mean it like that, but how the church functions. Even that sounds too... I don't like saying it like that because it's... There's an element of an organic function. You know why? Because it's of the Lord. It's by the Spirit. But where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? The defunct in Corinth? Not happening. The defunct of Galatia? Not happening. You see? But Philippi? It's happening. And it's beautiful. And Peter, he was illiterate. But what a wealth of knowledge. What wisdom he has in teaching the saints. I mean, you go back and listen to our study through. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, I mean, go back and listen to our study, the introduction to 1 Peter. And it's like, what? This guy was a fisherman? And look at this wisdom. Look at what his heart is pouring. Look at what he's teaching to the saints. The same could be done with you. Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. Wisdom, not a worldly wisdom, but a wisdom from the Lord. You ever see people, they might, they don't have the 
Acad- academia, they don't, they don't have it, but they have chutzpah. They have the wisdom, a wisdom of the word of God and from the word of God because it's from the Lord. And that's Peter. I mean, who among us, who among us in searching for a church fellowship to call home, in search of a pastor to safely submit to, who among us would include the agramatos, where grammar isn't their strong suit? Who would include somebody that doesn't have the degrees from Bible college and seminary? Because Peter was such a person. He didn't have the diploma. He didn't have the certificate. He didn't have the degree. But what he had was pedigree. He walked with Jesus. You see? And Sylvanus wrote for him. Which also says a lot about the humility of Sylvanus. What a beautiful covering of humility these vessels of God have. Sylvanus and Peter. And so Peter writes through Sylvanus. And we see in in verse 12, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. Now, people debate this Babylon. You know, what is this Babylon? Where is it? Where is it? And me personally, I don't engage in that type of debate on geographical Babylon. I I, I don't do that. The, the, The geographical Babylon, I don't do that. Now, remember, 64 AD, this is a time of government tyranny, the diaspora of the saints, which is completely understandable. And Peter writes about a safety, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And in verse 13, we see that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Remember, grace, G-R-A-C-E, acronym for G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Peter says, this is the true grace of God in which you stand. 64 AD, there are saints under tyranny. Saints under tyranny. And she who is in Babylon as the bride of Christ, remember, which is very, very forward-looking because the wedding is still pending. Even today, the wedding is still pending. And whether in Babylon or whether part of the diaspora, elect together one body, one body. And this family of faith, Brother Peter says, greets you. That's so beautiful. The family of faith, heirs of Abraham. And so does Mark, my son, he says. So does Mark, my son. Now, there's no indication that this is a spiritual son like Timothy was to Paul. Most likely, Mark is Peter's biological son. Don't forget, Peter, he's married. Peter's married. And we see here in verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Again, this is very dangerous to do in early Corinth with the leaven. Very dangerous to do. A guy with his sex addictions, hey, don't touch me. Get away from me. A lady with her sex addictions, hey, don't touch me. Get away from me. Very dangerous. But that's the leaven. That's the leaven. I speak to the remnant. 
I teach the living where the formula is right. Where the old nature of the flesh has been reckoned dead. Me? I've only done this with old people, men and women. And you see this in, you know, uh, 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 the reason why, you know, old people is because young people, they tend not to be dead. They tend not to be dead. And you see a kiss on the cheek like we see in cultures around the world, you know. You see your 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 auntie, your uncle, your cousin, your nephew, your, your niece. You see grandma, grandpa. You see all these people. It's like, oh, you know, kiss on the left cheek, right cheek, a big embrace, a big fat hug. And you, you know, it, it's... It, how it translates in the Greek, it's a kiss of tenderness. A kiss of tenderness and the fondness and affection of a friend. Very, 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 very dangerous. Very dangerous with leaven. Do not do it with leaven. But where there's ecclesia, Koinonia, love feast, gifts of the spirit. It's family. Just like you see, you know, we just had the holidays. You know, people see their families, their aunties and uncles they haven't seen for a long time. It's the family of faith. And yes, we all have biological families, but how much more the family of Faith, heirs of Abraham. You see? And it happens through belief in Jesus, Son of the Most High. And just as Jacob bowed to Joseph, so too Abraham bows to Christ, Son of the Most High. Heirs of Abraham. You see, in closing, Peter says, peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yes, in the perilous times of 64 AD, where being a Christian was very costly, even deadly, there was a peace that surpasses understanding. Why? Because it's of the Lord. And in our day, in our perilous times, when it's our turn, in our mystery Babylon, where the clarion call of God is clear, come out of her, my people. We too can have peace that surpasses understanding because it's of the Lord. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.